Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand, and him, Ronnie Barker. I know that's a reference that a few English people will get. With him, Adam Curtis, for part two of Russell Brand and Adam Curtis. I hope you enjoyed the last part. Why are you laughing for, Jen? <laughs> Did you say your name multiple times? So what? <laughs> you said that you've got the eyes of a predator, when a lot of the people think you're a little pip eye. And tennis players, I think, have quite close together eyes. Which ones? Uh, Novak Djokovic. Who's that Australian one that's a bit of a bad boy? I don't know. Well, he's my favourite anyway. <laughs> There's potentially a predator. And he's are these eyes close to <laughs> Yeah, they're just above his nose, which is right in the middle. I think he's got lovely eyes. It doesn't mean they're not nice. But whereas you, you you're my the... my eyes aren't nice. Yeah, they're beady eyes. <laughs> Why? So what, because you... when I smile, they go like this. You say that the predators have their eyes at the front and the yeah. prey has their eyes around the side like wing yeah. mirrors. Yeah, you're or like a deer. in between, I think. Yeah, I have nice eyes, haven't I? I've got good it's eyebrows. It's not the eye itself, it's just the eye placement. Yeah, but yours, they're beady eyes. <laughs> like beady little owl I'm eyes. It's my most self conscious thing. Is it? And you can't change it. That's your worry. Like you when people put fried to... eggs in a pan, not me because I'm vegan, but when people, do, and I have to make it for my kids sometimes, you put fried eggs in a pan and maybe they go a bit too close together. They're not that close. That's you. Uh, it's the one thing you can't really do with plastic surgery either. You can't move your eye placement. What about, could you not use some kind of bag? A bag? <laughs> head bag. Oh, oh, no. Like a head bag? That's that would take nice. out a lot of the other problems. The my sn- face? That, your whole of that area. It is my least favourite bit of me. Your eyes? My face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what about the personality, Jen? Surely that deserves some discussion to be considered saying. the absolute worst bit of you. Look, what if Adam Curtis is listening to this, hoping to hear <laughs> be, about what a great documentary film? He'd probably back film. me up, wouldn't he? Yes, he would, wouldn't he? How does he speak like this? Yeah, lovely voice. You can't argue with Adam mm-hmm. Curtis's voice, can you? Look, well, this is to promote his work. Can't get you out of my head. An emotional history of the modern world. It's a six-part series you can find now on the BBC. Adam Curtis is brilliant. His eyes are the right distance apart. <laughs> are they? Yeah, more or less. I mean, Can not you like, picture his eyes? Not like some people. They're a couple of... <laughs> like, you know when you play a pinball machine no! and they're lined up? I prefer to have wide-set eyes. Anyone with wide-set eyes is always better looking. Who's got wide-set eyes? Models. Killian Murphy. Yeah, best eyes ever. And I don't look at eyes, really. His eyes are barely even on the same head. <laughs> yeah. He must He must meet a lot of targets for you because he's also got the chisel jaw. Yeah, he's one of my favourite people. But I saw close. him in a lavvy once. He was pretty handsome in And he's there. quite short. I, think. I believe he may have been. What? <laughs> what? What do you mean? What does that mean? I believe he may have been. Why didn't you know? I don't memorise everyone I see in the toilet. I saw Tim Burton in another toilet. Why, why do you keep meeting people in toilets? <laughs> I follow a lot of men. What, do you loop. say anything? Well, Tim Burton and Mike on. No, both of them, I think my one. Right? Like that. You don't go into yeah. it in the toilet unless you're an off-key character, No. I don't know. I think in women's toilets they might. Well, what do you do? You I, don't know. I don't talk to anyone ever. <laughs> you don't really talk to us at work. No. I speak when I'm spoken to. Good technique. Yeah. Is that your technique? Yeah, because then if I start, I won't stop. Ah, yeah, I've noticed that in these podcast intros you talk a lot. <laughs> you a lot told of people me saying, you're speaking to me. A lot of people say you're ruining it, the podcast. Make Look at these emails here that say that. Hold on, where are the comments? You don't have none? I do. Oh, Jen. Right, look, let's uh, say this about Adam Curtis. He's great. He's a great guest. He His films explore sociology, psychology, philosophy, 
That's how that's pronounced. <laughs> Political history. <laughs> he's like this documentary. Can't get you out of my. What do you reckon he's quote? What songs do you reckon he's saying? He loves pop culture. He loves music. An emotional history of the modern world. Do you think it's Kylie Minogue? Why did she have a song I called "An Emotional History of the World"? Oh yeah. Uh, you're learning. Isn't there? Um, um, well, I can't remember the name of the band. Could be someone like you. You'd think it would be someone. Wait, um, maybe like Roxy Music. That's the sort of thing I imagine Curtis listening to. Though he likes Burial, doesn't he, and things like that. He likes ambient music. I know. <laughs> anyway, listen. These are some comments from the Jonathan Haidt podcast. He was a brilliant guest. Haidt, Jonathan Haidt podcast. He was a good guest, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And our upcoming guests are quite good. Like, uh, who have we got next week? Joel Backen. That's already. I thought we were buying a bit of time here. Oh, no, we're not buying any time. We, some time. Have we? Yeah. We couldn't get a week off, though, if we wanted. No, no, it's not next week. It's the one after this one. But Adam Curtis Part 1 is, well, I'm ruining the illusion of the intro. It's coming. It will have already been out, but it hasn't come out in right. present life. <laughs> when are we going to get a holiday? You can't go on I holiday. Go, can't go, go anywhere. I want to go on holiday. Where do you want to go? Hawaii and warm? Sri Lanka. Why? Because someone I know has a house in Sri Lanka. Who? My friend. Which one? <laughs> uh, you don't know her. Do you, when you say her, do you mean that it's a, a friend in a no, loving... No, it's not a lesbian. They shouldn't have to be a lesbian. I don't like to put labels on things myself. I don't no, put labels mar- on things. She's married. Oh, another marriage ruined. <laughs> another marriage I don't want ruined. to have an affair with her. You want to talk about some of the people you fancy at Luminary? I don't, you're the one who fancies people. I do. Yeah. There's Steve. But they listen to this. Square draw Steve. Yeah. And they're not all of the rest of them. It's <laughs> <laughs> very diplomatic. They're all pretty good looking people, aren't they? Yeah. Don't you think on our Zoom calls? Yeah. Oh, that's enough on that. Because actually, it's <laughs> so judging. This is luminary. You don't judge someone by what they look like, do you, Jen? Even if they've got little, say, pip eyes. The everyone judges what everyone looks like. That's right. That's the way of the world. But is it better to be judged by your looks or your personality? Who cares? Don't want to be judged at all. Especially if you've got a couple of little pip eyes. Like I don't. Couple, my poor eyes. Little pips. Yeah. <laughs> like two peas rolling up against the edge no. of a matchstick. Either side, you know? Like a... Your face is like a division sign. No! That's <laughs> <laughs> so cruel. I'm pretty pleased with that. Now, You'd be more like a comma. You can't just pull grammar out of the air. I just looked at you. Do you think I'm like a comma? If anything, I'm like brackets. Here's some comments from the Jonathan Hyde podcast. PJL. In the UK, we have political parties and prime ministers that are nearly exclusively populated from individuals who went to the most expensive private schools and universities, followed by careers in journalism, law, or strength politics. That doesn't provide the necessary experience and skill to manage a country well. Well, you're going to love the podcast coming up with old... Um, because in that we talk about this sort of stuff mate and you're going to love it because this is what we're thinking of is starting a truly populist political party standing candidates in every seat in the land taking over running tins a bit different a little bit different (laughs) tins will be wouldn't they Jen I thought it was the name of it was truly for a second like the truth oh what didn't you say truly something (laughs) yeah alright for the political party yeah okay Ross Frey won. Elitism is politics created by them for them. Yeah, well done, mate. Kirsten Bartz. Love this podcast. A lot of sense spoken. Before it started, the chisel jaw convo. No better chisel jaw than on a certain Henry Cavill. Well, he's Superman. Is he? That's right. That's who he is. He's the Witcher person, too. He's Witcher. He's Superman. Two roles that require a lovely chisel yeah, jaw. Yeah, only heroes always have chisel jaws. 
They don't have round jaws. No. No. Why? That's a shame, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> For those that would like to be a hero. Yeah, if you, you have to have a chiseled jaw. But you won't even look at a photo for a date with someone unless they've got the chiseled jaw, will you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no point even... It's wasting their time. <laughs> That's that your eyes drift straight to the jaw. Yeah. <laughs> and they ain't got very far to drift, have they? <laughs> Subscribe to the mailing list. We've got some good things coming up. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a free meditation thing where like anyone you just get sent a thing you can come on there and meditate and Demaya's lurking at the corner I'm just here for information in case you need it go on what, <laughs> shout in there while maintaining a healthy social distance in the workplace what, uh, what is the thing well we're going to have uh, several people on the podcast to uh-huh. take us through meditations and to, you know various mental health tools <laughs> and then we're doing a video series of thinkers that you're into so. God, this is brilliant. So you've got to subscribe to the mailing list. Thanks, Demai, for that. Um, okay, so just join the community at russellbrand.com to receive those messages. Check out my YouTube channel for more spiritual videos, clips and all that, and uh, follow me on social media. I'm on all of them, except Snapchat. Mm. <sighs> Too never, late. Yeah. We can't keep doing it. It's exhausting. There's a new one called Clubhouse as well. I know. I've heard about Clubhouse. In- what have you got to do on that? It's inv- only. I've been invited. By who? You don't need to know about me invites. Are we going to do it? <laughs> uh, Sadly, one of their rules is no pip eyes. <laughs> <laughs> None of the old belt hole it's eyes. It's kind of like... Oh, no, I don't know if this is... <laughs> it reminds me of Popeye. <laughs> you poor, poor thing. Pip-eye and Popeye. Look, people come to this podcast to learn, although I do know some people, Noel Fitzpatrick, super vet, he loves this bit. Thank you. But there's other people <laughs> want to learn about Adam Car- Curtis, one of the <laughs> most brilliant thinkers and filmmakers of our time, an innovative and wonderful man. Absolutely will not have a bit of fun, though, will he? On the Is first... that not him kind of having fun? Well, that's his way of having fun. He's like when I sort coy, of tease him, just yeah, going... silence. Coy silence. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that is what it is. Well, I love him regardless. Nothing he does can stop me loving him. I think I've proven that by now. So let's um, have a listen to the podcast with Adam Curtis right about now. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. Got a few things to say here. One is like um, I think that the limitations of you know scientism. Not I would say not just the reference of economics and the sort of the centripetal point of economics in the limited apparent dichotomy of left versus right, even in extreme forms such as you know sort of communism versus free market capitalism. That that the the sort of philosophical accompaniment to that, the the, the sort of the sort of soft power arm of that is kind of what I would call scientism. I'm interested in like just that one moment. From from the primary Democrat primary campaigns where briefly Marianne Williamson was sort of like part of the debate where she said something along the lines of you lot, she said to her sort of co-democratic candidates, are not going to be able to tackle the dark psychic forces unleashed by this man with this kind of moot sort of, I don't know, bureaucracy. She said something or technocracy. I can't remember exactly what she said, but she kind of indicated that 
great powers had been inadvertently or perhaps deliberately stirred by the sort of the phenomena of the last four years. Now, evidently, of course, uh, Biden uh, succeeded. And again, I think we, we can already evaluate what's causing the, the dissatisfaction that leads to Trumpism in a kind of in, in the kind of uh, values, aside from some sort of obvious sort of uh, social justice stuff that any anyone would agree with i'm sure like the in in where power is being apportioned the kind of appointments that are being made and the kind of economic policy that's being reinstated you know like they don't inspire much and i i wonder adam like aside from this the stories you're telling in your film which of course sort of lead us up to this point and one of the figures you study is Donald Trump right in like uh, or, or the one of the stories you tell is of Donald Trump from his sort of uh, New York landlord days up to present day and some curious relationships he has with other people you tell the stories about I just wonder how you feel like current American politics um, relates to the you know particularly with the uh, election of Biden to the some of the stories you're telling in um, your latest films I remember watching that primary debate with Marianne. Was she Marianne Williamson? That's right, yeah. I got into a lot of trouble with some of my friends for saying, I thought she was really good. Because, I mean, I know she's a hippie, and you know, and you're a hippie, but she, she somehow, what I really liked about it, she suddenly started talking in a language that put things in epic terms. It just made me realise how narrow and how limited... The focus of political debate has been. She was just, it was, she made it epic. Uh, and I thought that was really quite exciting. It was a glimpse into something. Um, but no, I mean, she, she was immediately kicked out, wasn't she? Yes. I don't know. I just thought, I just thought it's, it's, it's a sort of, it's really the language of politics has become so limited. Um, you ask about American politics. Well, I mean, it's, it's, in boring journalistic terms, what I worry about is that Biden has appointed in his foreign policy many people who were effectively hawks, over both over Iraq and now over China. And I do think that one of the real problems of America is ever since the Cold War, it's it's got to have this sort of fear thing. And, and, I, and, and it was bin Laden for a bit, and then it was Putin. Have you noticed how Putin's rather disappeared? Yeah. And now it's Xi Jinping. Um, and and I just think that a lot of the people he's, well, some of the people he's appointed to high positions in his foreign policy team are sort of China hawks. And we're going to get another wave of that because there is a thing at the moment. And again, a lot of um, people are sort of happy. It's a bit, it, it reminds one very much of the Iraq war is a lot of people on the liberal left are also quite rightly concerned about the Uyghurs and, and the way that the Chinese are behaving in their mass re-education programs, which sounds really appalling. But but you will get this strange alliance between the, the, the liberal right and the liberal left over China, very much as you did over the Iraq war. So what I'm really saying is it, it just what goes around comes around at the moment in, in, in liberal politics is that they need a threat. At the moment, and I'm not—I don't mean this is a universal thing. It's just at the moment, in the absence of any positive vision, they will. China is going to fulfil that function. Whereas I think what's really interesting about China is that it may not be as strong and as much part of the future as we think it is. 
that, that it, it is as much a decaying political system that relies, which is hanging on to power through mass surveillance systems and has no real ideas of the future. It is as sort of hamstrung by that as, as we are. Um, yet what they're going to do is they're going to turn it into this really frightening idea of the future. Um, and I just think that's a missed, you know, again, we're going to get preoccupied by that and not talk about how we can change things for the better domestically. That's pretty cool. Like I think what you see, like Adam, it sounds like, um, and maybe this is something I'm remembering from the films, that these sort of apparent great sort of empires or states are hollowed out on examination. And I remember like when Grenfell happened, my mate James, who you know, saying like he lives around there and he said that like w when that happened, you realise that everything was sort of subcontracted by sort of five degrees and there's no one there. There's no there there. You go to the building and it's been hollowed out. There is no council person that go, oh, sorry about all this. We'll better sort that out. And like that bin man getting sacked that booted the head off a snowman. He's like a subcontractor, subcontractor, contractor bin man there is no sort of cohesive social uh a sort of a, a alliance or contract or bond between us that these things are sort of hollow and empty and held together by the conservation of dead ideas and you, you're right that does suggest that doesn't suggest strength yeah dead ideas that sums it up really that if you look at it where are we at the moment we're living in in the attempt to keep stable what effectively in this country and in America since 2008 are pretty much dead ideas. I mean, it is very strange that we now have banks doing what's called negative interest. You know, they'll, they'll actually pay you to borrow money. It's, 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 it's odd. There's something weird about this. You know, what we... Okay, the, 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 the argument about Mrs. Thatcher and Ronald Reagan is that actually they weren't as successful as we think that by the mid-1980s, they had failed to regenerate industry in America and Britain. The, the factories were closing massively. And in the face of that, they turned to the financial system to lend money to people. And they did that very successfully for 30 years. And lots of people, A, could go and buy a lot of, and have a lot of fun with that. They also felt that their wages were going up even when they weren't, yeah? Mm. That crashed in 2008. And since then, we've been stumbling along. And that's where we are. And, 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 and it feels like a dead idea that we're trying to keep going. And, and I just think that maybe that'll change, but I don't know. Maybe you're right. Hey, Adam, did you make a film for Massive Attack where you had loads of uh, buildings collapsing that was filmed before 9-11? Like, or sort of, they were clips from films. Is that right? It was, it was all those um, apocalyptic films from the 90s, which that's were all, all about... Um, people from outer space coming in and attacking, actually, uh, you know, attack, not attacking, flying into buildings in New York and other places in America. What were you saying with that? I was trying to point out that w one of the things of our time is that we imagined a dark dystopian future somewhere starting in the mid to late 90s. And, and, and that was expressed through those films. And why 9-11 was so powerful in our imaginations is it seemed to confirm those dark dystopian imaginings. They came real. And that catastrophe and that catastrophic effect of that, what seemed like a confirmation, really rocked our societies, not just America, but us too. And, and I, I, I was reading somewhere the other day was saying, really what we're living through is a series of catastrophes. 
which continually we have no idea of the dimensions of. So you have 9-11, then you have the banking crisis of 2008, the global banking crisis, then you have Brexit, then you have Trump, and then you have the pandemic, which is much worse than any of them. But it's a series of catastrophes in, in societies that, as you say, have dead ideas. So we haven't really got a, a, a story of where, where we're going, which allows us to put those shocks in proportion. I mean, I know that actually when a catastrophe happens, you're knocked sideways. But what we lack is after we, the immediate shock uh, is an ability to put it into a sense of proportion. Our journalism tends to run out of control and just the darkest imaginings come out. I mean, I'm not saying this about the pandemic at all. We have no idea about that. And that is genuinely terrifying. But with 9-11, with the banking crisis, with Brexit, with Trump, we get into these hysterias. And one of the things I very find very interesting about the last four years with Brexit and with Trump is that whilst the experience of living through those four years was one of continual chaos, hysteria, panic and distrust, if you actually look at what happened in Britain and in America over those four years, did anything change in the structure of power? Trump, as far as I can see, Trump's foreign policy, he did a few things, especially over Iran. Domestically, apart from reducing taxes for rich people, which is what I think Republicans tend to do, he didn't do anything else. That it was sort of, it was a, there was a weird disconnect. Inside our heads, there was this continual churn and hysteria. Every day, the newspapers would tell you about Trump and Brexit, and Trump and Putin. It, outside in the real world, actually nothing changed. The structure of power continued, the inequalities grew, the anger carried on. Un, un, unanswered. It, 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 it's a very weird time. There is this disconnect going on. And it's something to do with, well, I would say this, but it, it's the decay of the idea of the individual. We've gone inside our own heads, followed by the internet companies who love creating what they call high arousal emotions inside us. Whilst outside, actually, there's this complete frozen world. That's interesting. That's interesting because it's sort of a correlative to the kind of value of cultivating an inner life that could create the conditions for change that we are discussing. Awakened, enlightened individuals that have a different relationship with the external world as a result of not living in a state of stimulation, but transcendence of that stimulation. Those two points you made there about the sort of like the the theatre of Trump, the spectacle of Trump versus the sort of real change. I know that there'd be people listening, go, oh no, but this happened and that happened and stuff. But I, you know, of course, I am inclined to agree. And the sort of symbolic power of uh, of uh, tragic events such as nine eleven. Or, or suggest this kind of play, this kind of theatre, and a, a word you use towards the end there is a kind of a, a disconnect, a disconnect between our inner lives, our feelings of reality, and the reality that we're experiencing. And I can see in this inc increasingly large margin, uh, an an appetite is growing. An appetite is growing by the, the kind of the very people that were. Um, you know, sort of con condemned and ab abandoned uh, in the discourse around Brexit and the conditions that led to it and uh, the people that are sort of uh, criticised and uh, abandoned under around the sort of the polemicism in America. I feel that, you know, these, this is a, these 
other very people that will benefit from new ideas, new approaches. And when you say, Adam, like, you know, yeah, of course, a vision ultimately requires like particularly something that's sort of potentially global, obviously it requires a, a sort of a, you know, central symbols, motifs and ideas. But ultimately, isn't it really going to be about controlling, regulating and in some cases extracting power altogether from the places where power currently resides in order to empower individuals and communities to live their lives unencumbered by the, sort of the unreasonable economic imperatives that are currently placed on them. But this is the argument you and I tend to have. As I say, if you want to create your the world that you described earlier on, you've got to actually confront entrenched power and you've got to take power. And and I just go back to what you said. Yes, people will say all sorts of things did happen in the last four years. Yes, that's right. But what didn't happen was the structure of power in this country and in America remained totally unchanged. Yeah. And, and actually, the inequalities grew much, much worse. Nothing actually changed in the fundamentals of the societies. And yet we live through a hysterical time. And I do think... If someone dramatised that, they would get a lot of attention politically. It, 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 it's very strange. We're lost in this hysteria. And I argue in, at the end of my films is that, there are, there are, that what happened in the last four or five years is two ways of running the world, began, alternative ways of running the world, which are not very nice, began to emerge. One is the Chinese model, which simply observes people through mass data, doesn't care about what they feel, and just gives them rewards for behaving the right way socially. And if they can't be that, they're just reprogrammed like the Uyghurs. That's one way. The other way is, is in a way, the opposite of what emerged in, this, in our societies, is that you got, a, you got a society in which our inner feelings were pushed and amplified and, and sort of energised or amped up by all sorts of forces, a lot of them online. So we're kept in this continual state of hysteria, constantly distrusting everything. Mm. And actually what that does is it creates a frozen hysteria. So we feel like the world is in a constant churn, a constant state of dynamic change, when in fact, actually nothing is changing. It's, it's, it's really odd. If you actually look at this country, remember going through Brexit, Day after day after day, there was hysteria. I know we've got the Brexit deal, but those things that Brexit promised it was going to deal with, which was the anger, the inequalities, and you know the terrible lives that people are living in, in places where the factories have closed, has anything changed? No, nothing, nothing. And yet, yet we feel it has. Now, I would argue that that's the end of a particular age where we were encouraged to live inside our heads, which was glorious and wonderful at that for 30 or 40 years. But when it began to corrode and the money system that sort of supported that through um, lending people money began to collapse, we were left with just those hysterical emotions inside our heads. Whilst outside, the world just what that suggests to me and I, I suppose is what you are implying is that if nothing changes as a result of these seemingly seismic and uh, hysterically presented events e.g. Trump and Brexit then real power is not impacted by that change it is transcendent of those kind of changes the real question is where is power 
where is power now? I mean, and, and, and because we don't really, I go back to my point that you asked me about earlier on. People don't talk about power much. People don't examine where it is. How, how, where is it? How it works? And if you do want to confront it, how do you confront it? Do you not? Do you think that it's in sort of plainly in places like Silicon Valley and the financial industry, the industries that are protected and are uh, operate above sort of democratic fluctuation? Well, if you, let's take let's take Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley tells you that it's the future. And it's going to invent driverless cars and all sorts of things like that. When in fact, actually, 98, 99% of its profits just comes from advertising. It, it, it's a very interesting moment that the large corporations, the largest and most wealthiest corporations in America, actually don't make anything any longer. They just don't. Google, Alphabet, the company that is its parent company, the overwhelming majority of its profits comes from it targeting you with advertising. That's it. Everything else is just tiny compared to that. Apple, it just sells you machines. It doesn't, it makes the machines, but it doesn't make anything else. It, 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 the infra, and what's, I mean, and yet they're sitting on vast amounts of cash. I mean, vast amounts of cash, which they simply use as a, as a weapon to go and buy anything that is a competitor immediately, just grabs it and snatches it. <laughs> they don't release any of that money to, to invest in, in, the infrastructure of the society. It's a very strange moment for that. So they're powerful in that sense, but they're not actually doing what the old corporations used to do, which is transforming the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure of America. They're transforming our heads, that's true. And they, 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 they are helping create that continual state of emotional churn inside our heads. But what are they actually, I mean, one of the things that Donald Trump promised to do which I think was one of his the appeals of his that he was going to rebuild the infrastructure of America. Yeah, I do, and it's true. The infrastructure of America, if you go there, is collapsing. It, its bridges are falling apart. Its trains are rotting. Its it, even its airlines are pretty old. Yeah. Now. Yet he did nothing about it. Nothing. But but it, it it is there. It's a sort of it's again this frozen thing that 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 you have these giant corporations which are supposed to be futuristic. Yet actually, the world outside, the physical world, is just decaying. It, it, it's very, it, uh, again, it's a disconnect. There are two things I'd like to run by you. One is, um, it, that perhaps you'll be familiar with, Yanis Varoufakis said on this podcast when I spoke to him that when he was briefly you know, in government for about a couple of weeks or wherever it was, and he attended an EU meeting, he said like the most perf powerful person there was like the uh, German-appointed kind of uh, chancellor or like financial minister or whatever of the EU. And he said that he recognised the only power that individual had was the power that that role afforded them, that, 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 he, that the person was static they had no actual agency the the power the systemic power even at the, the at that at that interface was so entrenched and immobile that that person would go oh do you know what yeah fuck it we'll cancel your debt you know it's like that person can only do what that role dictates so there's a sort of um, a stasis a a, a, a kind of uh, conservatism that's absolutely immobile this kind of freeze that we're experiencing is like experience at the level of d discourse Yes, those people, I mean, that's really interesting because if you, if you say, who has power? Politicians have enormous power. Look at the banking crisis. Immediately after that banking crisis, both Barack Obama and Gordon Brown 
simply signed documents rescuing the banks. That's incredible power, isn't it? Magic. Whether you think it's right or wrong is irrelevant. It's power. Mm. Yet, as, as, as you've just pointed out, those politicians we know were actually, in a sense, frozen as well. That they, they, I mean, Barack Obama tried very valiantly with the Medicare uh, the me medicine uh, reforms, and he got some through. He did Iran, but the majority of criticism of Obama is that he was frozen. Yes. You know, he promised to close Guantanamo Bay, and he didn't. Yes. And I always think that the Guantanamo Bay is one of the great stains on America's, um, you know, idea of its exceptionalism, and it's still there. Wow. Yeah. But nothing's done about it. It's astonishing. And the majority of the people in there are completely and utterly innocent. <laughs> Don't let that get in the way of a good detention centre. Um, like, I've got two th more things. One is, and, you know, get ready for, you thought I was retrograde for bringing up new psychic spaces, which I think are at the forefront of uh, psychedelic studies, mark you, Mr. Curtis. So get ready for me saying that um, Gandhi, when um, after the British left India, said there's no point in us expelling the British only to replicate their systems of power. Otherwise, we might as well not bother getting rid of them. India, he said, is a country of 70,000 villages. Each of these villages should be fully autonomous, uh, uh, surviving on their own industry and craft trading only where necessary. And he said back in, you know, 1940 or whenever this was, that we have to overcome our fetishization of gadgets and objects. Now, obviously, G Gandhi, like most um, radical and successful civil rights leaders, was a religious man who was able to transcend his own obvious and evident individual powers through his religious beliefs but they were closely aligned as with your example of the um you know the british socialism emergent from methodism with spiritual religious ideologies what do you think about the kind of collectivism I, or localization that, that um, Gandhi is describing there as a potential alternative uh, to the sort of state uh, democracies, that uh, the, the decline of which we've described for much of this podcast? Well, I think Gandhi also recognised, from my, this is my limited knowledge of Gandhi's history, but that, that the British had created a giant infrastructure of power in, in India, which, you know, many people would argue is still hamstrung the, the Indian government today. It, 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 you inherit a system of power, yes? And that system of power has, through generations, organised a society in a particular way. And the same is true in this society. It's organised it both physically and mentally. The, 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 the deference towards social class is still in this country. The anger of social class is still in this country. The social class comes out of a system of power that was organized. Now, if you want to actually do what you say, that's fine, but you've also got to tackle how deep that power has gone. And I do think one of the most interesting things of our time is that we got rid of the empire in this country, but what we didn't get rid of is many of the attitudes that empire had instilled in our minds and the minds, and it's been passed down. So if you look at what I think in my film, I, I look at Dominic Cummings, who I think is a very interesting man. He wasn't, he was actually trying to modernize this country in a strange way, but he, what he woke up was this, these strange ghosts of the empire, which you see in people like Nigel Farage. And, and that, and, and 
And it, I always think that, that Brexit is this funny thing that half the people who, who promoted Brexit wanted to see it as a way of modernising this country, and the other half saw it as a way of taking it back to a mythical idea of almost feudal England that was invented in the 1920s after the First World War. And that's why it was so weird. The two things just couldn't hold together. And it became like a sort of grotesque fairground of these modernizers mixing with these strange mythical figures who think about the English folk and, I don't know, it, it, it was just very, very odd. So what I'm really saying is that, look, if you want to have your localism, what you've got to deal with is not some neutral ground. You've got a society in which the old structure of power has gone very deep, not just in the, the people who run it, just in the way people think and feel and the social institutions that you've got. It, it's just, you, and, and, and therefore what you've got to do is you've got a good radical politician has to take those attitudes and instead of saying they're stupid or they're wrong, they've got to actually say, no, the reason you feel this is because of this. And, and, and we're going to conquer that feeling by doing this. And I, it's a thing you once said to me, is that if you really want to change the world, go and get the football hooligans. Because they have an energy to them. And they, in a way, they express the problems that you're going to have to deal with if you're going to change the society. So go and get them. Go and talk to them. Go and get them on your side. What we have at the moment is a radicalism which is somewhat effete. <laughs> it, it, it refuses to engage with anyone that frightens it. Yes. It, and, and I find that astonishing. Yes. It, 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 you know, if you want to change this country and this society, you don't just go and talk to the people who agree with you. You go and talk to the people who disagree with you. Yes. And it's so obvious to me, but over the, to go back to the stasis of the last four years, everyone I know who was radical just said, oh, they're stupid. They're stupid. They're racist. Well, of course, many of them are racist. But why are they racist? Because they're having a horrible time and they feel threatened. And they've been told by other forces that, that the reason why they're feeling this is because of people coming from the EU or, or coming across the Mediterranean. That's why they're racist. But it's, they're not racist just sort of out of nowhere, you've got to deal with this. And you, but you've got this effete, almost like some Jane Austen heroine who faints when they see a horse. <laughs> it's, it's almost like that. It's just, uh, it's always astonished me. And, and that's why I really liked it when you said, if you want to change the world, go and talk to the football hooligans. Because a, you're going to learn how to change things, and B, you're going to access a lot of energy, which that effete liberalism doesn't have any longer. Yes, and I think that that liberalism isn't really interested in change. I think that's sort of part of the problem that we've... I think that's the terrible, dirty secret of our time, which is that maybe it doesn't really want to change. They like them. it. I remember being on stage with you once, and I was feeling a bit grumpy, and I said to someone in the audience, do you really want a revolution? Do you really want a revolution? Do you know what it would be like? The whole structure of power would change. And maybe all the things that you like, which make your life so nice, might suddenly be up for grabs by other people. Or do you just want the banks to be a little bit nicer to you? Is that really what you want? And do you remember there was silence in the yes, room for yes. quite a while? It, it's sort of like it, it is the dirty secret of our time, is that maybe, maybe 
the radicalism isn't as radical as it says. Yes, yes. And it doesn't mean they're not good people. And it doesn't mean that the ideas are not good. It's just, I don't know, people are scared. The devil's only got the best tunes because the angels have stopped singing. I feel like, um, I feel like Adam, that that they're oh man you know like well, i remember like that feeling about sort of hooliganism and like who are these real people people that like you know only a couple of generations ago needed to be mobilized were informed that there is such a thing as britain that these boundaries are worth defending for fighting for dying for that you like you'd fly your flags with pride are suddenly vilified and abandoned and in the course of five years we went from sort of casting our uh, sort of monocultural shadow onto sort of the the Muslim radical to the indigenous or at least uh, ethnically indigenous working class and like you know what kind of England can you have if you hate John Bull if you hate full stuff what kind of England is it I think you can take the piss out of the working class because they take the piss out of everyone else. It, it's sort of that the, these things are up for grabs. You don't have to like John Bull, but you have to acknowledge why they like John Bull. Do you understand what I mean? It's you have to, you can't just say you're stupid. You, that's really what I'm trying to say. I don't believe, I, I'm not sure I agree with you that you have to go back and access English nationalism because actually English nationalism is quite a recent invention. It, 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 what you have to acknowledge is the energy of the anger because actually that's where real radical change is going to come uh, from. I, I agree in fact all nationalism is a recent invention and it's resourced from tribalism and that tribalism we can bypass it well, why mess around with relatively modern Westphalian gatekeepers when we can go straight to the source and say of course you feel that you own your land and you own your community and you have a relationship with the land that you live on and work on and you should have agency on it and people shouldn't be taking it away from you of course I remember one of my ideas and more in my more wacky to the forefront why don't we stir up a lot of trouble on the internet days was uh that to to uh, re-nationalize redistribute and localize uh, football clubs that you'd say like a you will own liverpool fc you will own west Ham. we'll just take it we'll just sign a document and it's yours now like a real populism Oh, Adam, I shouldn't talk to you for too long because even though you attack my ego, somehow my ego gets stronger and my sense of my own potency thrives and grows, even as you poison it. Okay. Don't be uh, arch. No, I was just just thinking about what you were saying there about populism. Yeah, go on. The really interesting thing about populism is that it was stolen by the effete left um, in the last if you know about the history of populism populism is not a bad thing no it really isn't it's what the populism says that's the good thing or the bad thing populism simply says these it's basically the anger of those outside the system and real i mean populism the sort of populism we are talking about emerged in the late 19th century in america out in the margins, of, out, out in the agricultural areas, uh, against the corruption at the centre. And that's great, been a great big tradition. And, and it depends whether it's good or bad on the kind of society that you want to create. You had that dude in your film, though, that was sort of some kind of um, sort of firebrand socialist American politician. Oh, Huey Long. Yeah, um, yeah. You mean him? Yes. The, the yes. guy who was the um, governor of Louisiana. Yeah. 
he, I mean, and, and he's very interesting because he, you know, in one sense, he was he was really bad. He used to go and get money off gangsters, but he used the money to actually completely rebuild Louisiana. And it's a sort of, um, there was a certain sort of liberated energy to someone like him. I mean, what I'm really saying is that we have forgotten that not only is politics about power, but it's also has an energy to it. We got rid of that energy yeah, time yeah. ago. And, 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 and real politics is attractive because it has the energy to say, this world doesn't have to be like this. We can all work together for something and it could be really good fun and it could be really thrilling and it could be dangerous. These are all things that we do not discuss any longer. Yes. That, you know, if you do want to change the world, you've got to make a bet. You've got to say, I think it's worth doing. It might go wrong, but it might be really good. Right. And, and, and in a way, that's really exciting. I don't see how you can issue the, the psychologicalization of politics when you're talking so clearly about anger, the shadow, uh, the unacknowledged, unconscious forces. For me, these are like, at least that's one rubric by which it could be understood. I think the psychological model is, you know, often limited to the study of the individual, but that's what I mean. Right. I mean, in a way, I think we're just talking different words, different terms here. What I meant by the psychologization is the is the thing that is very dominant in our society is that the reason you feel bad, the reason you feel uncertain, the reason you feel lonely, anxious, is because of failings within you. It's not about the failings within the system. So what happens with all that psychology, like positive psychology that rose up in the 1990s, it says we can make people better. It doesn't actually say, should we change the system in order to make them feel better? No, we're just going to make people feel better and we're just going to leave the system as it is. And I think that, that has, that's what I mean by psychologization. It, it, it's, it's throwing it back on you and saying it's your fault, effectively. Yes, yes. Again, that's sort of like what Mark Fisher talked and wrote about at length. But the idea that we could um, redeem those huge swathes of society that have been abandoned by the death of the manufacturing industries, that have been blighted by the rise of the opioid crisis and tell them there's nothing wrong with you. This has been done to you and you and especially me can change it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's not your fault. And it's not inevitable. That's the other thing. There are two things to know is it's your fault and it's inevitable. There's no point in fighting against it because the world is complicated. And actually, yes, the world is very complicated, but some things in politics are very simple. Yes. yes. Inequality is wrong. Yeah? Yes. yes. Loneliness is bad. It's it's sort of it, it just it, but 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 somehow there is this sense that it's all inevitable at the moment. Yes, yes. And, and, and to go back to my quote from David Graeber, it's not true. We made that and we can make it different. That's great. I like that idea. Yeah, it's good, Adam. That's good. That's good. Well done. Did you ever meet Mark Fisher? No, and he was fucking nice about me and you. No, I met him I a just... number of times. I thought he was really interesting. He was really good. Because, because actually, you're right. He sort of stepped outside that... Um, narrow liberalism. He he got had really good ideas. I love him. 
when they all came for me after like Jeremy Paxman and all that stuff, and finally I found a way of getting this back to me. God, it's been nearly two hours. I'm um, like, it's terrible, terribly tedious to talk about you and your insights. Um, like Mark Fisher, like did this, like sort of wrote about me and said like they, that I like this thing where he goes, Brand wiped the floor with Paxman, and to see a working class voice behave like that on the television, it was really cool. I really liked it. I've got it written down somewhere, and one of these days I'll find a way of getting it into something. He was really good, and he. I mean, the reason I bonded with him is because I'd written a thing about how. We just we play culture all the time, and, the, and there's no new music and everything. And he he was one of the early people on that, because I do think that's the other thing of our time is that we're sort of haunted by ourselves these days. Yeah. The, 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 at one point when I was going to, when I was starting those films, I was thinking of doing like a sort of modern ghost story, because if you look at what what happens online all the time, is you're constantly played back sort of different versions of what you did in the last few days. Right, they're they're right. saying to you, oh, look, here's, do it again, do it again, do it again. And that's, again, that's part of the frozen moment is that we're just stuck, haunted by repetition. He used language like that, didn't he, Mark Fisher? Like, like the haunting. And... Yeah, the haunting. And again, you see, that's a good thing to do in politics is to, is to use that kind of language. And think tank people just don't do it. Right. That's the real right. problem. That's the real problem of our time. It's the think tanks. They're like zombies that have, have managed to th throttle Westminster. Can I go now? No, because if we get it up to two hours, I can release it over two weeks and I can have a week off. <laughs> no, like a, no, of course. <laughs> no, it's so lovely to speak. Of course, yeah, it's so lovely to it's so lovely to speak to you. I've I've missed you. I hope you're feeling okay. Are you? I mean, not in a totally intimate way. This is still the podcast, but uh, are you? I'm fine, thank you. Oh, God, you're so English, aren't you? What's wrong with you? What? You, how are you getting through this? Red wine and brisk walks? Would you like to talk about anything else, Russell, or are we... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, why don't we... Adam, it's been so lovely talking to you. For the... I mean, I'm, I'm happy to talk. I've got to go in quarter of an hour. I'm happy to talk for another quarter of an hour, if you'd like. Quarter of an hour? Wait, five and twenty or four? What are you, a nan? <laughs> All right. Listen, I've got to go. Um, thank you very much, Russell. Lots of love to you and Tessa, and I'll see you soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Adam Curtis. If you haven't seen his film, Can't Get You Out of My Head, it's a BBC film. Get on it right now and stuff your brain so full of information that the ordinary conversation starts to seem to you rather vacuous and empty. And uh, follow me on social media sites in a... In a, in a suggestion that flies in the face of the previous one <laughs> and uh, watch all the YouTube videos and all that stuff and sign up to the, become a member of the community at russellbrand.com we don't call it a mailing list because it's not what people want to hear they want to hear it's community it's very old sounding why don't you join up to our mailing list to receive some tokens I'll send you a ticket for a Zoom call if you wish okay well anyway that's the facts about it all we love you anyway and we've got some more great podcasts coming up thank you everyone at Luminary Thank you, everyone, here and under the skin for your great, great work. Jenny, I appreciate that you try. <laughs> under the skin. <laughs> so weird. <From> <laughs>